0: Hi everyone, welcome to uh, Wednesday Night Bible Study. Pastor Steve here, thank you for joining us on our podcast. Don't forget, we have other podcasts available. We have couples ministry, men's ministry, also uh, online services are on our our webpage, so you can check all that stuff out. Tonight we are in Part 7 of Acts of the Apostles, so don't forget that right next to uh, where you download this, there's also another little link you can take the notes down. Uh, so you can follow along on the note page. So Acts chapter 8 begins a transition. Um, as I said last week, what we've done so far is the first two years of the church. So the church is about two years old. Uh, the church is in Jerusalem. No other churches are basically established yet, although they're starting to minister uh, outside of Jerusalem, and Samaria, and some other places, uh, but there's no concentrated effort on that yet that's coming up, but what we're, we're going to get introduced to today, well actually last week we got a slight introduction into Saul, who is actually the Apostle Paul, uh, Saul is his Hebrew name, and uh, right about this point, actually from about chapter 10, 11 on, we uh, Paul becomes the main player. He becomes the leader of the church. Right here, we're going to get an introduction to him uh, in chapter uh, chapter 8, and then we're going to get his conversion story in chapter 9. So let's go ahead and, and go into this and uh, see where it leads us. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 4. It says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Speaking of Stephen, last week we were talking about how Stephen... Uh, 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 did a sermon in a sense and uh, uh, called out the, uh, 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 the uh, Sanhedrin on their disbelief and things like that they ended up stoning him so here you have Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and there were they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria except the apostles Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women he would put into prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So here you get persecution on the church. Stephen, the first martyr of the the church age, uh, and then you now have, uh, um, revolts, you have some rioting going on, and you now have the, the, uh, the church beginning to spread a little bit. Uh, you have believers now going in to Samaria and, uh, other places, uh, preaching the gospel, although the apostles are still in Jerusalem. They're still staying together. <clears throat> but this is how the church begins to move from, from where it's at now. Where it was in the beginning to where it is uh, later on. So, verse five: Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. So now here you have Philip. We've been talking about, uh, I Phil. We've been talking about Peter, Paul, and and, and John. Oh, okay. In in and John and uh, uh, Saul. And now you have Philip Yeah, in Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Uh, And so now you have Philip is now preaching the word. So Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, As they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city. So with Philip, as with uh, Peter and and, and John, James, the uh, uh, signs and wonders are continuing here. Again, this is the early church. There's just one church established in Jerusalem, <clears throat> uh, and signs and wonders are taking place. Um, so, any thoughts or questions on that? We can go on. Again, you know, the Book of Acts is it's, it's history, so it's pretty much all narrative. Um, you know, there's some theology in here, but it's narrative. It's, it's kind of a historical account of the first 35 years of the church. So, verse 9 to 13. Now there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city, and astonishing people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news, which means the gospel, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. So here you have Acts chapter eight verse nine. You have this fellow by the name of Simon who practiced a lot of uh, um, uh, magic and doing things that were uh, uh, you know the average person couldn't do. And so realize, primitive people, uh, very simple people, uh, back in this day, when there's something you could not understand they tended to make an idol out of it, or they tended to go into some form of worship over it. And so, you know, like they were saying, this is the great power of God. I and mean, this guy's a magician. You know, this is... Uh, uh, um, he's doing magic tricks. But because they don't understand it, they tend to deify it. They want to turn it into some form of God. And so, you know, he was running around claiming to be someone great, because he could do all these things, gathering attention and stuff. But he hears the gospel, and now he becomes a believer. Uh, uh, So, verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. Now remember, um, do a little thing, I know you can't, see this on the podcast, but if this is Israel roughly Jerusalem's down here Galilee is up here uh, Jordan is over here this is the sea over here Nazareth is, is about right there uh, here's, here's the borderline, right in here about right around in here is Samaria Now, Samaritans were Jews but they didn't worship as the other Jews worshipped. What happened is that back in the Old Testament time, when the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, were taken into, um, were, 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 uh, were taken off the land, according to the word of God. God said he was going to take them off the land. Uh, they left, and they went up into Assyria, over here. Uh, about 140 years later... Uh, the southern kingdom went to Babylon. And so when they returned in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, these people also had been trickling back. And they kind of settled in here, but they didn't associate and and identify with these. So now you had kind of two groups. And so this is, uh, there was kind of bad blood between them Uh, that if you were on a journey from, say, Jerusalem, uh, going up and the road, ran through Samaria, you would go all the way around it. You didn't even want to deal with Samaria at all, or Samaritan, the same thing. They didn't want to go outside of here and venture down into the temple. They had their own temple and stuff like that. So Samaria, they were Jews, but they did not consider themselves brothers with the uh, other... Jews, but they technically were. So that's what Samaria is. So now you have the church. One church is in Jerusalem, and now they go to Samaria and they're evangelizing those people there. Okay. Thoughts, questions on that? And the, remember the 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 woman at the well, Samaria. Samaria. She she lived up up there. And so notice Jesus when he's traveling, he doesn't go around Samaria like the other ones, he goes right through Samaria and he's talking to the woman at the well in in Samaria and she ends up becoming an evangelist verse 14 again now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John why do you think they did that? Why would they send Peter and John to Samaria? They had been there? Huh? They had been there with Jesus? Well, yeah, they, they had been there with Jesus. But what are they doing there now? Why would they send them there? It says when they found out that the word is being preached and people are getting saved. Oh, to go make disciples? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the markers of the church, the the early church, is that when people get saved and a group of people get saved, you would now send one of the apostles there to make sure the teaching was solid and was established. Again, this is what Paul's doing later on in next month or whenever we get to it on Paul's missionary journeys. He's going around to the different places where the gospel is at or churches he's founded and, and he's preaching and he's making sure these people are discipled. So, uh, because what will happen is eventually, you know, a church might form there, develop there, and uh, they want to make sure that it is a solid church, that it is uh, uh, founded on the word of God. So, verse 15. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting. Acts chapter 2, when they all believed, remember, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which was the promise of God. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues, which was a known language. Somebody else verified it was a known language, and they heard them praising God. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, but these people over here, who did not consider themselves to be Jews, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John go over there to, to to pray that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reason is we're going to get to it next week, is that the Holy Spirit has not been poured out on the Gentiles yet. The only ones it is poured out on are the Jews. So again, remember what it says in the in the in the Gospels to the Jews first, and then the Gentiles. And this is going to be uh, Paul's ministry. I mean, yeah, it's going to be Paul's ministry to the uh, uh, Gentiles. So next week we're going to get into where the Holy Spirit falls on them. So th- think about it. They're now getting saved, but they don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts eight, is to enable them to be witnesses, to be able to, empowering them to preach the gospel. So they don't have that power yet. So watch. Uh, they came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, baptized means changed. You know, you're know, you changed from life to death. It's a baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they began laying their hands on them and um, began laying their hands on them, and they were. Re- then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So now they're praying for that, and so because they are, in a sense, Jewish believers, they're not necessarily Gentiles. All of them, although there are a lot of Gentiles there, they begin praying, and now some of them begin to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse eighteen. Now when Simon, this is the guy who was the magician, saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come Upon me, so here you have Simon, who's operating as a magician. Uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking, you know, he's somebody that, that that he really isn't. That he's operating in the power of God, and now here he gets saved, and then he sees some having the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now he wants to have this gift, and so he says, "I'll, I'll pay for this." You know, I'll, I'll, I'll offer you money. Again, another reason uh, why Peter and John have to go to Samaria. Because if you're not careful, then this is what starts happening. Right? You know, you, 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 they don't understand the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they think it can be bought and sold or bartered or, or who knows whatever else would, would, would come, come in. But here's a guy who obviously, you know, he wants some power that he doesn't have you know and obviously he wants to be seen as as something more than what he is um, but Peter calls him out you know and, and he says you know you need to repent and, and you need to pray to God and uh, uh, so what are your thoughts on that? yeah I would say it's still very relevant today. A lot of people, they don't have a solid grasp of the gospel. They see like television, you know, kind of like a, a Benny Hinn or a Peter Popov, like, hey, kapow! you know, Holy yeah. Spirit's got you. Or buy this prayer rug or prayer soul for $45 yeah. and you'll get blessings. It's like, yeah, this is still playing out today. Right. And the problem with that kind of stuff is that, that today it's so prevalent that it's hard to 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 teach it away, because so many people are involved in it. It's a it's a whole movement on its own that a lot of people think is Christianity, and it really isn't. And so uh, it's, it's somewhere along the line, the church did not do a good enough job of shooting these kind of things down. And so you know we we have to be mindful. That, uh, um, you know, we have to stay on the plumb line of God. We have to have solid theology. Our, our doctrines, our beliefs have to be biblical. Uh, we cannot go off the pages of the Bible. We have to stay there uh, uh, for our instruction and all of these things. And so, yeah, it's it's this is why the book of Acts is important, because you see this happening over and over, and then you see how... God uses the apostles and others to correct it. Again, when, the, when, when we get to it, when the letters are written, like James's letter or letter, later on Paul's letters and Peter's letters, they're written to the church addressing issues that have come up. And so they're saying, okay, this is what you were doing, you know, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, how did you first receive Christ? You know, uh, by works or by faith? You know, because a works uh, doctrine was, was, was coming in rather than just believing based upon uh, faith so that's the importance of, of Acts and the epistles is that it right sizes the church you know but along the way if, if we don't understand that then we don't do it we don't apply that correction and uh, the hard part is when you do that you uh, then it becomes very hard because now you're going against what some people believe and when you go against a person's belief system that's now very difficult especially if that's the only thing they know you know that's their version of God that's the way they saw it so you know to now move them uh, from that is not an easy task it can be done but it's not an easy task so, any other questions on on that? Because I think that kind of speaks for itself what's going on. But you know, the church was in no big hurry to go up into Europe. They were they were just staying right there in Jerusalem. They were going in the temple. Uh, they were growing, but again, they were house churches. They were not Christianity was not an official religion. So therefore, it wasn't sanctioned by Rome. That would be another 300 years. Uh, So we couldn't buy and sell property. You couldn't put together buildings and call them churches. But that doesn't happen. Uh, So, you know, they're meeting from house to house. And uh, uh, they're quite content doing that. But the events and things around them are now causing them to be dispersed. So in a sense, God is using the things that are going on and the upheaval that's going on around them, kind of like the uh, the mother bird or the daddy bird that pushes the bird out of the nest to fly. You know, if you don't push them out, they'll stay in that nest and expect you to feed them their whole life. But, you know, they push them out and somewhere between there and the ground they learn how to fly. So, um, let's see. So basically, there Simon, you know, wrong motives, and Peter calls him out on it right away, and so I think sometimes that's been the struggle with the church is sometimes we see people with the wrong motives and we don't call them out right away. We just we let we let it fester, and uh, we shouldn't do that. Or we don't know better. If you don't know better, you can't do better. That's why you have to know better in order to do better. I think I said something pretty good there. I'm not sure. Anyway, Uh, the next part, I'm not going to read it, but it's basically uh, uh, you have the Ethiopian uh, receives Christ out in the wilderness with with, with, uh, Philip. Some signs and wonders happen there. Uh, And basically what it's just showing you is that now the word of God is now hitting people and people are getting saved that didn't in the first two years. There's an Ethiopian now. Uh, is, is 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 receiving this? They're in Samaria. They're getting ready to go up uh, into Europe. They're getting ready to go off into Africa, the northern part of Africa. I say we read it. Huh? <laughs> What's that? We I say see. we read it. We so we read it the whole thing. Yeah. Um, okay. Here we go. This message is brought to you by Diego Delama, State Farm Insurance. <laughs> verse twenty-five, <laughs> chapter eight, verse twenty-five. So, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages and Samaritans. Remember, they're preaching the gospel. What does the church do? Preach the gospel. Preaches the gospel. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, uh, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And, by the way, you know, Ethiopians have a long history of worshiping in Jerusalem. And it goes back to the Queen of Sheba, the time of Solomon. You know, she... She came because she heard of Solomon's wisdom. And uh uh since, so from that time the uh uh Ethiopians had a connection to Jerusalem. They would they would pilgrimage. They they, they would go to Jerusalem from time to time. And uh uh there's there's a lot of uh um uh, I don't want to go too far on this rabbit chase, but there's a lot of thought there about that the Ethiopian uh, church, which is the people that got now got saved in the Ethiopian church, there are some people that believe that they now uh, guard the Ark of the Covenant. Other Jews say the Ark of the Covenant is below the temple, and they know where it's at. Uh, there's a lot of speculation on, on this. But there are there are uh, mosaics, not paintings, but mosaics, that show a pilgrimage from Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, with menorahs, with the Ark of the Covenant, and and other things that were in the temple, taking them from Jerusalem to Ethiopia during the time of the Maccabean revolt. Where the temple was ransacked, and uh, uh, so there's there's solid evidence that at some point that did happen, and so and then there's a church there I forget the name of it, you can look it up you can go online you can Google it, Ethiopian Church, Ark of the Covenant just put that and you'll see the whole thing and it's a heavily it's it's a guarded church there and it's a, kind of a mysterious thing and they believe people who are very strong to believe that the Ark of the Covenant is there, waiting until the right time for it to come back. So that's just a little rabbit chase there, but you can Google that. So, verse 27. So he got up and went there, was he thought, eunuch? Okay, Candace. Uh, la, 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 verse 28. And he's returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit, think about that. That's a, that's a good little picture there. You're sitting with his legs up in the chariot reading Isaiah. Right? So he's reading Isaiah. Um, the Spirit said to Philip, verse 29, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, Do you understand what you're reading? This is the eunuch who's reading you know, Isaiah. And so he says, Do you understand what you're reading? Right? ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? 31, and he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent and he did not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth the eunuch answered philip and said please tell me of whom does the prophet say this of himself or someone else then philip opened his mouth and began and beginning from this scripture he preached jesus to him remember new testament isn't written so the bible that they're preaching from is the old testament same old testament that we have today Verse 36, And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this is Salvation 101 right here. He's he's saying, you know, what do I need to do? He says, You need to believe in your heart, and you need to make this confession. You know, we don't know everything else that he said, but he's using the scriptures and saying the scriptures are pointing to Jesus who came, who died, resurrected, ascended, seated at the right hand of the father. He says, I believe that Jesus is the son of God, and that's very important. Jesus is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Ezetus, and as he passed through he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So little signs and wonders there. But God takes Philip on this little side journey to get this one guy saved. Um, again, you know, you never know uh, where God will take, when God will put us on a little side journey to get one person saved. So we always have to be mindful of that. Uh, uh, so it's interesting here that an Ethiopian, not a Jewish person is reading scripture and he's wondering who is this about and God sends him a preacher, teacher, to now show him through the scriptures how this is pointing towards Christ and the gospel and all that. So, again, what's used to guide people to Christ? The word of God. We use that. That's why in our... our, uh, In our evangelism class, and if you're listening to this on podcast, you can also uh, download our evangelism class that we did. Six lessons, I believe, on how to evangelize. But we use the Old Testament to uh, uh, guide people through the process of salvation. We use that to convict them. We don't convict them. They convict themselves based upon what the Old Testament has said. So, thoughts, questions on that? When was it... Um, Philip just disappeared. Yeah. Poof and poof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and don't know why, um, why God did that. And all of a sudden now he's he's in another he's in another place, and he's just preaching. And all it says is Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through. He kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. You know, again, signs and wonders. Why God did it this particular way, don't know. But obviously this Ethiopian eunuch who was important to get him saved because he, he, he totally stopped Philip in his tracks takes him over there and then brings him back to where he was supposed to be continuing his his journey so yeah so interesting little deal there any thoughts on that okay on the back side of your page now we get to... Saul, the opening volley here of Saul. Yeah, we're good. Okay, this is the passage known as the conversion account of Saul. And there's a lot of things in here. So uh, if you see something, you know, a question, raise your hand, or you want to make a comment about something or anything, because this is a very, very interesting passage. And this passage particular passage will now affect the New Testament because if Paul doesn't get saved here, the New Testament as we know it doesn't get written but Paul gets saved because God is going to use him and we'll read that so chapter 9 verse 1 now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that Uh, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This Saul's not a nice guy here. You know, he's a zealot. He's, he's, uh, one of those zealots were ones that would fight you for scripture. They would fight you, uh, rather than talk to you. They would, they would rather knock you over the head. Then have a, a theological discourse with you. They were just so zealous for God, and and obviously thinking that they were right. And uh, later on, we you know we're going to find out that Saul is is an Old Testament scholar uh, trained by 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 the best minds in in, uh, in Israel at that time, and so you know he knows his stuff. But here he is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he goes to the high priest and asks for letters so that when he goes to to Damascus, uh, if he finds any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. You know, this is not a nice guy. Notice it says the way. That's one of the names that they were calling the early church was the way. Because Jesus said, I am the way. you know, they also refer to them sometimes as the Nazarenes, not Church of the Nazarene, but Nazarenes in that they followed Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, So here they found any belonging to the way. Because again, you don't have established churches. Christianity is just two years old. It's barely in its infancy. Uh, uh, so you don't have... Obviously, you don't have denominations or anything like that. That comes way, 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 way later. So verse 3. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate or drank. There's also a parallel um, passages, Acts twenty two, verse six to twenty one, Acts twenty-six, verse twelve to eighteen, where Paul is on trial and he's relating this story. So we get we get two other accounts of the same story. So if you want to know all the details of it, they're right in there, but it's it's pretty much Right here, okay. Uh, before I start breaking this down, um, thoughts, questions on this: What is God doing? What do you think? What does total, it see? total transformation. Transformation. Oh yeah. Trans- tra- transformation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think he blinds them to get them to listen. Blinds them to get them to listen yeah blinds him to get him to see yeah um, yeah, stops him obviously he does something obviously this you know from verse 1 saw still breathing threats and murder against the disciples went to the high priest asked for letters from the synagogue to Damascus, so that he found any belonging in the way both men and women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem this guy was set with what he was going to do it took, it took an act of God to stop him in his tracks right Uh, because yeah there's going to be a a transformation coming here but god does this all the time right i think all of us in our in our in our 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 story of in our journey with there's moments where we've had that road to Damascus encounter with god where god just kind of stops us or god gets our attention uh whatever it is but I i want to say something here that saul is not knocked off his horse I hear this preached all the time. It says Saul gets knocked off his horse. He was not on a horse. He wouldn't be on a horse because you didn't travel on horses. Horses were only used for military. If you were going to be on an animal, you would be on a beast of burden. You would be on an ox. You would be on a cart. Or you could be on a camel, but you were not on a horse. That was a weapon of warfare in those days. So he was not knocked off his. I can't tell you how many times you know, I'm screaming at the TV watching somebody preach, and it's all knocked off his horse. No, he wasn't knocked off his horse, you know, Um, but he was knocked to the ground, right? And uh, uh, let's see, verse three: as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven. Flashed around him. We can only imagine what this was. Flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, cuts right to the chase. Saul, you are persecuting me. Okay? Then Saul says, Who are you, Lord? Capital L. Saul recognizes that this is an out-of-the-world type event here. This is something spiritual. This is not your everyday lightning or whatever. He's recognizing, because don't forget, we later find out, Paul, even though he missed it with Jesus, he knows the Old Testament. He knows God. He knows the power of God. So, you know, he says, Lord, you know. And he says... I am Jesus whom you are persecuting get up and enter the city and I and it will be told you what you must do so he says you know you're you're down get up go into the city and uh, someone is going to tell you what you must do I don't know how you see this but I'm thinking when when I read this what's got to be going through Paul's mind here you know, you're you're so dead on, serious and right. God, I was doing this for you, because he thought he was doing it for God, persecuting these Christians. I'm doing this for you, and then all of a sudden he gets this, and it's, and it's Jesus saying, "You're persecuting me." This is not good, if you're Paul. You know, so I don't know what's going on in, in his mind. Verse 7, the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. They heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. So it wasn't just Paul. There were others there that witnessed this. Uh, Verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus leading him by the hand why cuz they were walking okay uh, and he was 3 days without sight neither ate nor drank do you think 3 days is just chance there's, there's got to be a spiritual significance to 3 days there you know he's got 3 days to 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 pray he's got 3 days Uh, to be in the valley of the shadow of death. He's got three days, you know, kind of like, you know, between the resurrection and the, uh, from the tomb and the resurrection. So, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Now notice, he was a disciple Obviously, he had moved up there from Jerusalem. He was there, uh, and he was a disciple. He says, Here I am, verse 11, And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So God is doing a couple things here. Yeah, he's 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 got Saul where he wants him, but he gives Saul a vision. He says a man's going to come and lay hands on you, and then he, at the same time he's telling the man who's going to do it, Ananias, this is what I want you to do. You know, and I think it's kind of interesting. He said, go to a street called Straight. You know, Alpha and Omega is straight. Our path tends to be crooked, highway, but God's way is straight, Alpha and Omega. Uh, uh, he says, inquire for the man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he is seen in a vision. So, again, here's, here's the picture. What is Saul doing for those three days? He's praying. He gets a vision. So here now you see God at work doing something. He's got somebody over here, Bringing, He's got somebody over here waiting and it's going to come together and God's going to do something and then it's going to move forward. Uh, let's see. Verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name? So Ananias kind of pulls a uh, uh, um, a Jonah here. He kind of says, "Lord, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to do this. This guy's bad news. And and why why do you why do you want me to do this? You know, he's he's he's, he's questioning it, saying the same thing Jonah did." He said, oh yeah, I know you're going to do this, God, I know you're going to save this, but I don't think it's a good idea. And then he goes the other way and ends up in the belly of the fish. So here you have Ananias. And again, how many times does the Lord talk to us or show us something in his word, and now we're maybe now trying to litigate our way out of it? Oh, well, that, 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 that couldn't be me. me. That's, that's got to be somebody else. That, that, no, that's not me. No, no, no. no! You'll send somebody else, right, God? No, he'll send you, me. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This is interesting. He says, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Okay, and the word instrument there, as it's translated in the Greek, it's the same word as musical instrument. A musical instrument does not play itself. It has all the capability, but it needs the wind to go through it in order to make the sound. Well, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, is is that that goes through us. We are that instrument, but without the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, we cannot uh, uh, do anything. So for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. So right there, he's already now making a way he's going to use Saul to be the one who takes those first steps out into the Gentiles. Because, you know, again, what is God's plan? It's not just for a selective group of chosen people that, uh, uh, you know, what does chosen mean? In the Old Testament, it means a group of people that God was working through to show his plan. In the New Testament, chosen as an elect, those that God has uh, granted salvation to. Those are chosen we are not chosen you are not chosen as a birthright you are you are you are uh it is the gift of God that grants us into the kingdom of God through our repentance acknowledgement of sin, confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, and then he says, i'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake and, and he will suffer you know he's going to be thrown into the, jail he's going to be beaten there's a lot of things that can go through him he's going to he's going to have to put up with some stuff and think about think about Paul's character because we're going to be talking a lot about Paul as we go through the Acts of the Apostles let's try and get a handle on Paul's personality because here's Paul that God is going to use to teach the church that he persecuted and wanted to destroy. He's going to use him to do that. You know, it's, it's like God chose Moses to go back to Egypt and, and you know, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. The same Moses that, that, that had, had killed someone in a fight and fled in disgrace. So here's Paul, in a sense, in disgrace in Damascus over what he's done, but God's saying, I'm choosing you. Verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, in other words, Ananias didn't put up any more argument. Ananias entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road which you were coming, has sent me to you and you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. So he receives the Holy Spirit. He receives his sight back. It says something like scales. Uh, we don't know exactly what that was. Something fell from his eyes something like scales. When we're talking about scales, we're talking on fish scales. I mean, that's, that's what they're talking about. Something like that. He regained his sight. He got up and then he was baptized and he took food he hadn't eaten in, in, in three days. Um, so now Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. Three days before, he wanted to tear the church apart. Now he's saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. But that's obviously not where his story ends. This is where the story begins. So before we get to the next part, any questions, comments? Good. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus, verse 20. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. So right away he's making the connection. Where is he going? To To Jewish believers, whom he's going to be very comfortable with, right? He's the Jew's Jew, and now he's going to say, you know, all these scriptures that I wasn't seeing, or all these scriptures that I was ignoring, all these things are now pointing towards Jesus as Messiah. And, uh, uh, you know, he's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Verse 21. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. How? He's now filled with the Holy Spirit. He's now able to do ministry he is now filled with the holy spirit and he's confounding them you know they're they're perplexed they're they're like this is a dramatic change which is all of us when we go through that conversion experience when we are changed when we are baptized into christ you know there there should be a visible change in us right there should be a there should be fruit hanging on that tree. There has to be some change. Verse 23 Then many days had elapsed and the Jews plotted together to do away with him. So now they see him as a threat. Before he was their buddy now they want to get rid of him the same way they wanted to get rid of Peter and John, you know and, the, and, the, and James and the others and uh, now, now he's he's cast his lot in with them. Uh, They wanted to do away with him. 24, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Then he came to Jerusalem. By the way, cities in those days, like Damascus and Jerusalem, were fortified by walls. All the way around. You didn't have open uh, walls. This is why in the time of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is upset when they're returning from the Babylonian exile and he hears that uh, Jerusalem is without walls. And the reason is because anybody could come in and and destroy the city again. So you had to have fortified walls. This is why they're lowering them down in a basket uh, through that. He couldn't just walk out the front gate because it says they were there watching that he was going to go in and out of the front gate. Verse 26, Then he came to Jerusalem, and he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Do you blame him? No. You know, I mean, the last time we saw you, you were breathing threats, and you were in hearty agreement with Stephen being stoned, and now you're here telling me that you're a Christian. And that uh, you are now, we are now brothers. This this is this is a tough one. But again, as uncomfortable as that is for them, think how uncomfortable that is for Saul. He's he's got to overcome that, because if if he doesn't overcome that, he's not going to go preaching. He's not going to go to them. He's just going to go off into the wilderness somewhere. <clears throat> Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So now you have a benefactor. Now you have another brother. You have Barnabas is now standing up for him. But Paul has something, well, Saul is his name is now, he has something that none of the other apostles have. And it doesn't come out until later in Second Corinthians, where he's writing, he's having to defend himself. But right here, he has something that none of the other disciples have. He was saved by Jesus Christ. The ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus—not the one before the ascension, after Jesus is in heaven. This is who called him out. So this is his, his trump card in a sense. He said, and he uses it in Second Corinthians. He says, you know, I was saved by by you know it was Jesus who 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 did this to me, you know after after he ascended and, and, and seated. Right hand of the Father. So now Barnabas is his friend. He's speaking up for him. Verse 28 And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. Hellenistic Jews, as I said last week, are Jews that were raised in the Greek language. They. uh, uh, Hebrew was the, was the language of the priests. The the language of the learned, if you went to college in those days, higher education, you studied Greek. So a Hellenistic Jew is a Jew who, who is Greek-speaking. And by the way, uh, Paul was also, well, Saul was also a Greek-speaking Jew. But here he is arguing with them uh, and, even, and now they're trying to put him to death too. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. So now they're Taking Paul, they're sending him off to Tarsus. He's going to be there for a while. He's going to be with Barnabas, the others. He's going to be getting instruction. He's going to be there, uh, uh, getting ready to be in a in a couple chapters to be Paul of the New Testament. So right now he's he's just uh, proving himself in the sense of his conversion, in the sense of he's saved, in the sense that he is not that uh, uh, guy that he used to be. But as zealous as he was before, he's going to be just as zealous, if not more so, for Jesus Christ. So his personality is still intact. It's his direction, it's his purpose, it's his heart that's changed, but his personality, his tenacity, is still the same. You know? But now it's it's for God, and uh, you know Paul's got a lot to deal with. Uh, again, think about it, and you get you get it in some of his his letters. You know, he says things like, uh, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, you know, when I come to visit you, I'm afraid that you're going to be looking for someone much larger than what I am because of the things that I say to you. You know, he was a smaller guy. And he was he was aware of that, and he realized that his writings and his teaching were very weighty, very heavy, very large and so he said you're, you're going to be expecting to see this this guy that stands head and shoulders above everybody else marching in and all this stuff and here comes this little Jewish guy that you can overlook you know you know he's, he, he, he kind of deals with that and then later on we get into the you know he's got the thorn his flesh, you know, and all that stuff. So Paul, I'm going to stop here uh, next week. uh, We're going to pick this up. What happens here, there's two uh, healings by Peter. uh, Peter's ministry, we're going to pick it up next week. But what's happening now, we're transitioning from Peter being the main leader of the church to eventually Peter and Paul are going to have a confrontation over some stuff. And, and eventually Paul is going to rise up and be the uh, uh, spiritual leader of the church. Um, so the first early years, Peter is the main focus. But uh, now we've got uh, Paul on the way. But Acts chapter 12 is when uh, Peter really starts to, Paul really starts to uh, uh, take off. But Peter's, we're not done with Peter. Next week, we're going to get into Peter. Peter's going to get a vision, and he's now going to go, and it's Peter that gets the vision that Gentiles can be saved, and the Gentiles should be saved. And so that's what we're going to talk about next week. And the next week we're going to find out that the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles the same way it fell on the Jews in Acts chapter 2. It's just opening up a new chapter but the same effect happens uh, uh, with the Gentiles that happened with the Jews in Acts chapter two, with the with the gifting of the Holy Spirit. So, thoughts, questions. So again, we're just a little over two years into the into the life of the church, and um, still still a very fragile church. I think that the picture you get of the church right here is uh, signs and wonders. There's excitement. Uh, there's there's some confrontation. You know, you've got Stephen's martyr. You're going to get a little bit more of that later. Um, but the church is kind of staying together in this area. Uh, but eventually, in seventy AD, the Jews and the Christians are going to get kicked out, and uh, because Rome revolts and tears the temple apart and then that's when Christianity really spreads because they're now dispersed up into Europe and uh, down into uh, down into uh, Africa which is down in here but uh, before we're done with the book of Acts you'll see those churches in Ephesus and Corinth and, and the others are beginning to take shape over there and so by the time the book of Acts Acts of the Apostles ends the most northern or westernized church you'll have will be in uh, uh, in Italy. That's as far as it goes. They're not up into uh, into Scotland and England and all that yet. So that's where, that's where that, that all ends. That's where church history kind of picks up from there. So questions, comments, you good. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, again, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Lord, uh, we thank you, Lord, for reports we've had this week, Lord, of of, of healing and strengthening and renewal. Lord, we thank you that you're guiding your church through this difficult time. You're guiding your people through this difficult time. Lord, we just continue to pray and seek your face on, Lord, for wisdom and, and, and how to do different things, Lord. Uh, But most importantly, we thank you for your protection and your guidance, Lord. And so, Father, in all of this, uh, as we hear this Bible study, whether it be live or be through a podcast, Lord, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what it is you have for us. And so in this, we just give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless. See you all next week. Amen.